You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Welcome to another Three Mall Pod. I am your host, Cole Mambeck, and we are joined once again by a special guest and Missy Heydrich, former K-State women's basketball player, longtime color analyst for the K-State women's basketball team, both on radio and on TV, and a columnist and podcast host for The Next, a website dedicated to college, international, and WNBA basketball. Well, Missy, uh, last time we talked, it was around 12 days ago, give or take, and uh not much has happened since, right? Kansas State knocks off top 10 Texas and Bramlage Coliseum 61-58 to to hand them their second loss of the year. We find out K-State loses Aoka Lee, uh, All-American center. She's going to be out approximately four weeks, hopefully return right around Valentine's Day for that game at Iowa State, another team that's 5-1, and 6-1 and one actually in the league right now. We had a forfeiture, uh, never seen this before, where TCU had to forfeit the game, and then obviously Kansas State wins a huge one in Waco, only their second win in Waco in school history. What have you made of the the last two weeks, Missy, with K-State women's hoops? Well, it has most definitely been interesting. I think you have to give this team credit. I thought that in their win against Texas, you know, when we had a chance to chat, I, I think about before that game, we talked a lot about how it felt as though that was going to be a matchup that was going to be won in the trenches probably of the front court. And in terms of how Texas wanted to be able to attack Ioka Lee, to be able to utilize their size and their athleticism. But as that game went on, you could see that it was ultimately going to be a game that was going to be won maybe more out on the perimeter in the backcourt. And that is, you know, what I think it came down to. And give credit because as all season long, there's a reason why this team, you know, is 18 and one that they've been able to stop people and they have hung their hat on their defense. It is delivered when they needed it the most. And they, you know, it was a miserable shooting day for Texas. Madison Booker, who is an outstanding freshman for the Longhorns, she was very effective in the mid range game, but there just wasn't a lot of perimeter help there for Texas. And Casey was able to kind of grind it out. And that is what you have to do especially in this league. And if you're going to be one of the top teams in the country, you're going to start to get everybody's best shot. And so how do you respond to that? Sometimes it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be beautiful basketball, but you find a way to win. And they did that against Texas. And then you fast forward and it's in a very interesting trip to Fort Worth, Texas. They're there. Um, they're going through, you know, they're headed to shoot around. They're doing all those things. And then bam, I'm sorry, we're going to forfeit. No game. Go back, get back on your plane and go home and go to class. Uh, but, you know, and that hasn't happened really in college sports since the pandemic time. That's what I felt like. You know, if there was anything that the pandemic taught us, it's that we've got to be pretty nimble and flexible. There didn't seem to be a lot of that. And there's a host of questions that are swirling around this situation at TCU. Um, we could probably spend a whole nother podcast talking just about that. So we'll leave that one to be. But K-State gets the win in the forfeiture, gives them a win in their conference standings, not in their overall. Um, Same things for TCU. They take two losses, which would have been the game against Kansas State and then the game at Iowa State on this past Saturday. They take two L's, but it doesn't impact their overall record, which is part that's like the asterisk in the pin if you want to talk about sort of some of the conversations happening around that. But um, 
they come home and then congratulations, everybody opens up their email on Friday afternoon and things are going to look a little different for this Kansas State team uh, without Ioka Lee in the lineup. And it really is now just ultimately how this team continues to respond. They have done that in the first two games without her, but there is still a ways to go here where she will not be available to Jeff Mitty and his team. What was your reaction when you heard the Lee news come out last week? Well, you know, it's unfortunate. You feel awful for um, a young woman who has gone through so much physically to get herself back. Um, You know, we all know the numbers and the statistics that she's gone, you know, 600 plus days from the last game to the game that she played this year. You know, I think you and I chatted a little bit about it. I had the chance to actually have her on my Lockdown Women's Basketball podcast last May right before the end of school. And, you know, this is a young person who had gone through a host of surgeries, massive rehab, incredibly painful all along the way. And she was in the month of May and hadn't really touched a basketball yet. So to be able to see how she was going to be able to progress and have the season that she was having up until now is fantastic. And you can't not cheer for her and be happy for her. I go by a motto and, you know, I said this on Monday to an AP voter who was on my podcast with me. You know, if you had asked me back in October, November, would I have thought sitting here the week of, um, I guess it's week 12 of AP voting that Kansas State would be say at number four in the country, I would have told you I thought you were nuts. Um, simply because no one really knew what you were going to get. And I've gone very much by the thought process that as Ioka Lee goes, this Kansas State team would go this year. We have to keep in mind, this is ultimately the same roster that Jeff Mitty had a year ago, minus Shamatsi, who was a transfer last season, gave them some minutes, started, was kind of a hybrid post, you know, wing, could step out and shoot the three, just was different. They instituted a different type of system. They went fast. They hunted threes. They were going to shoot high volume. They were going to go, go, go. Um, they were 19 and 17 a year ago and 5 and 13 in the league. With basically the same roster, you add a 6-6 All-American, things change. You take the 6-6 All-American out of the roster and out of the lineup, and you're into Big 12 play, that absolutely changes things. Um, I thought they did exactly what they had to do, which was grind it out against Kansas, figure out a way to win. It wasn't pretty basketball. And then you got to kind of take a day and you regroup and you come up with a game plan and figure out what that's going to look like to be able to go to Waco and know that you're headed into a very, very difficult place to play. One, as you said, haven't won in hardly ever. Um, and, and what is it going to be? What's going to take to win that game? They hung their hat on their defense yet again and they get out with another W. One of the things that's so impressive to me, Missy, is their ability to adjust on the fly. I mean, you lose a six foot six All American, and you only have a couple of days to prepare against Kansas, and then you only have the one day break after that, where you're traveling to Waco and you're playing a top fifteen team in a program that hardly ever loses at home in Baylor, and you're down nine at the half, and you figure out a way to adjust. You adjust your defensive scheme because you and I talked all year or on the on the last show that you know they'd switched to more man concepts this year. And then on the fly in that game, when Baylor kept scoring in the paint early on, Jeff Mitty adjusts, goes to his zone, and this void, void of that zone defense work. And we can get into that more in a minute, but just maybe hit on the the ability of this team just to adjust on the fly with with the roster that's missing. It's all American. Oh, you're absolutely right. And and I would actually go back. I think the Kansas game was an incredibly interesting sort of um, kind of a disaster of all things for both teams. 
So you're waiting for a matchup between two premier post players in the Big 12 in Ioka Lee of Kansas State and Tiana Jackson for Kansas, a super senior that has come back with other super seniors for Brandon Schneider. That's the matchup you're looking for. Now, I thought that game would be one more in the backcourt, that it was going to really be about the guard play, but that those two were going to go at it, see who might get in foul trouble, who can be more dominant on the boards, maybe as a defender, a backline defender. So you have no lead. Therefore, it kind of seems as though the season parted. And if you're Kansas thinking, well, this is a day for Tiana Jackson to show up and to dominate. She was okay in the first quarter, takes an elbow or hand to the face in the second, and is gone for the rest of the game. We don't see her. So now both teams are adjusting on the fly, having to completely pivot as to how you're going to try to attack this game on both ends of the floor. And so I think, again, it was really just kind of about a grind out. It was not beautiful basketball either against Kansas, but you do what you got to do to be an in-state rival. I mean, you know, as we I always say, it doesn't matter when it's Kansas. Everything goes out the window. It doesn't matter if it's basketball or horseshoes. It's a rivalry game. And so you just got to figure out a way to get it done. Uh, Kansas State did that. You fast forward to Baylor, and you're absolutely right. This, this was not a good first 20 minutes because what Nikki Collin and her system at Baylor is, it's built around a lot of WNBA concepts, high ball screens, movement, pick and roll, slip screens, fan out, find threes, find shooters. They did all of that to great execution in the first 20 minutes, and K-State had no answer. They were getting beat off the dribble drive. They were getting beat in the post. They had nobody on the back line in help where you have to make those adjustments because that's where you've had Ioka Lee all season. You know, if I get beat out front playing tough man-to-man defense on someone and I get beat and they turn the corner and they get to the middle of the lane, well, having 6-6 in the middle there to be a rim protector and a defender changes how people play you. Well, now all of a sudden that's not there. And so the first 20 minutes in Waco was not good basketball. As you said, they were down nine. But they flipped the switch, and I think it was the, the the change to the zone, forcing Baylor to have to beat you more from the perimeter. It didn't give them as much penetration lanes, and they were not as effective at getting the ball in the post. Those touches down low weren't there, and K-State found a way to generate their own offense, and they get them out of there with a win. Oh, it would have been so easy down 13 at various points in the first half to just say, well, you know, look, we don't have it tonight. We're without our All-American. We'll just bounce back next game. But this team fought, you know, made some switches and adjustments. And you mentioned it. I mean, in the first half, Baylor, 81% of their shot attempts were twos in the first half. They outscored K-State 24-12 to 12 on points in the paint. They were killing them on the inside. In the second half, only 46% of their shots were twos. They attempted 14 threes compared to five in the first half, and they only make two out of 14 from three, a good three-point shooting team in Baylor. But you could tell K-State zone and their length bothered Baylor defensively on that end of the floor. They hold Baylor to 6 of 26 shooting from the floor, 23% in that second half. They hold them to 0.42 points per possession in that second half. They turn them over 11 times in the final 20 minutes. Just really special defense. And I I want to ask you about Eliza Moppet, mm-hmm. you know, Missy, because – she was fantastic. I mean, yeah. I was blown away with what the sophomore center was able to do for Kansas State in that game. And it wasn't just the 16 points and the nine rebounds, six of six shooting, her hitting a three from the corner, which I'm sure the staff was like, no, no, no. And then it goes oh, out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I also just her defense mm-hmm. on the interior. The second half, I mean, she only gets in the final box score one steal credited to her. But I felt like she got her hand on four or five different passes that led to K-State turning Baylor over just how special was that performance from Mop and on, on Monday night? 
Well, I think Eliza Maupin is a very interesting story for this Kansas State roster. You know, a season ago as a freshman, she was put in, played a, a, played a lot of minutes. She made a lot of game appearances, again, because there really wasn't there wasn't anyone in the post. They had to figure out what they were going to do. They had to figure out how they wanted to play. And she brings some tools to the floor with her own individual toolbox, her athleticism, her length, her ability to run, and she's got a fantastic leaping ability. So they were kind of able to use those pieces of what she could bring in spurts a year ago. You bring Ioka Lee back, now someone, this isn't really maybe the, the system or the style that probably fits her. Also, a, a young person who, out of high school, that was really where she played. She didn't play AAU circuit. So she's adjusting and understanding physicality, speed. What does Division One basketball really look like? I could fly around and block shots and get rebounds all day when I was in high school. It's a little different in this kind of universe. So she's made those adjustments, hasn't seen a lot of court time. Um, but you look at what Baylor was doing and how they were just slicing and dicing Kansas State in that first 20 minutes, you're going to have to have somebody that's going to be a little bit more agile, that's got better movement laterally, that can maybe not necessarily get every steal or get every block, but I can make an adjustment. I can make you adjust a shot. I can contest. I can get out in a passing lane because I'm quick and I can anticipate. And maybe I tip a pass that's intended for a post player and now there's a loose ball and we're going the other way. So you don't get credit for that, but it's the hustle plays that make a difference. I think I said this on Saturday, you know, without Ioka Lee, it kind of goes back to the mentality, Cole. And we see this all over the country. People, it's happening in men's and women's basketball every night because somebody's going down. Somebody's sick. Somebody's in foul trouble. Someone's been injured. You name it. We know it's happening. So you can you can show up. But then are you going to step up? And that's what you're looking for. And that's a young person right there in Eliza Maupin, who I think used her tools, did not try to do too much on Monday against, you know, the num a top 15 team in the nation. And she stepped up. And you got to give credit because without her play, I don't think they win. Uh, I don't think they beat Baylor. And I think that would have really been it. I think they were lacking that spark that needs somebody to come in and do the little things. And yeah, when you get an open layup and you catch, you got to finish. And she did that. She went six for six. Yeah, she runs the floor well. She rim runs. She got down the court once, had a layup in transition. I thought she was fantastic against KU the game before. She went three of three from the floor and eight points, five boards. So I have to ask you, and this is a big what if, but if Ioka Lee comes back to her normal self in three to four weeks and uh, you know she's she's fine, she's averaging 20 points a game and there's no health concerns, could this be a blessing in disguise for this team and that they define, find and develop more depth while she's out in an Eliza Moppin potentially if they think they could, could carry over and then maybe she's that rotational piece when Lee comes out of the game or they could play them together perhaps, I don't know. But could this be a blessing in disguise for this team to find different ways to learn how to win and to build more depth with her out, assuming again that she can come back and be herself when she returns? No, I, I think you I think you've hit it. Absolutely. I think it 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 gives you a lot of um, positive momentum in that area because that is the one thing. And Jeff Mitty said it, he's, he's said it multiple times that that's been an issue and a concern is that when they have taken her out of the game, who is that replacement? Especially when you're not going against an opponent, let's say in Oklahoma. I think we talked about this last time on your show. You know, OU doesn't play overly big. They don't have a lot of size. So it's going to be more up and down. It's faster, quicker. So 
taking Lee out of the lineup at times isn't necessarily as big of a difference against a team like Texas or against a Baylor or against some of the other teams that they're going to see throughout the Big 12 play. you got to have a true post presence. And that post presence just makes it so difficult for teams to be able to guard K-State. So I think, yes, development is huge and confidence is huge. So knowing that whether I'm going to be getting 10 minutes, I get two minutes or I get 20 minutes, whatever it is, now you've got a couple pieces of this extra puzzle on your bench that have proven themselves. And they're like, you know what? I feel like I can step in and I can do this. I've asked, you know, I've asked a few people. I've had some conversations over the last few days. Um, You talk to other AP voters. They'll tell you, you know, why did Kansas State move up to number four? Well, even without their best player in an All-American, they still won. So you have to give them credit. Like you have to chip the cap. They did what they did. You do your job. Um, it's kind of a saying in my ho- in our house is DYJ, do your job. And they did it. You know, they knocked it out. Um, the other piece of this is, you know, I'm cool. I, I, I love a solid press release. You and I probably both do. Um, you know, I think four weeks is very ambitious. Um, so I hope and that this is as speedy of recovery as Kansas State and Ioka Lee would like. But I also hope that if it isn't four weeks, that this team doesn't, you know, circle a date and say, oh, well, she'll be back for this game. If it doesn't happen, well, then everybody's also, again, this is, goes back to the, you can't just show up, you've got to step up. Yeah, I certainly hope. Yeah, and I, I know they won't, but you don't want to rush her back either. You want to make sure she's 100% to go for the postseason run and ready to go and doesn't have any sort of setback by rushing her. Uh, and and I, I'm with you like the four weeks did. I mean, anytime I hear surgery and I hear four weeks, I'm like that. Look, I'd probably be in a wheelchair, you know, if I had. Well, even, let's, even... Just say, let's just say most medical professionals and people that will say they're they've all kind of given you the side. They've given me the side eye like, I don't know. Like, uh, we'll see. So, yeah. you know, again, optimistic. I feel like it is um, that that's a good thing that those are. That's what you want to have in this invite, you know, in this situation. And, um, you know, it also puts everybody else on notice. It puts all of the Big 12 continually to be on notice, say, hey, this is not season ending. She's coming back. We don't know when. And, um, you know, I've had the privilege of talking to a a bunch of different coaches and had a a P5 coach tell me the other day, you know, preparing for Kansas State is so interesting now because she is one of the most unique players in the country based on her skill set and what she does. And so um, scouting reports are changing rapidly for the next few weeks as teams figure out a way that they're going to try to go against this Kansas State squad. But then you're going to have to do a little cut and paste when she comes back in the lineup because that uniqueness then is back on the floor. So I think the the win at Baylor was so big because I know there were a, pot of, a lot of people, a lot of fans that were just like, all right, go into survival mode, just find a way to go like four and three maybe five and two without her on the court, then get her back. But you steal one at Baylor when you're seven, seven and a half point underdogs a game. You're probably not going to, you know, no one thinks you're going to win without Ioka Lee and you steal that. And now you've got a winnable game at home against BYU this Saturday, a chance to get to nine and oh in league play. By the way, they're eight and oh in league play for the first time since the big 12 was formed in 1996. They're off to their best start in school history at 19 and one overall. You mentioned the AP poll at number four in the country and in the coaches poll. They jump yesterday to number two in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that Baylor win kind of gives them a little bit more breathing room, Missy, which kind of brings me to my next question. And this is more Big 12 centric. Yep. But, you know, we start thinking about Kansas State winning this league potentially. What record do you think it will take 
to at least get a share of the league title when you look at the landscape of the Big 12. Iowa State's currently six and one in the league. Oklahoma's five and one. And then you got Texas at five and two. You got Baylor at four and three. Well, K-State did exactly what you have to do in the last two games. You have to win at home. You got to hold home court and you got to steal a couple on the road. And Baylor has always been a very difficult place to play, even in their new building in the Foster Pavilion. They've had great success in a very short order once they've started there in Big 12 play. So I think that's a huge, um, you know, kind of notch on the belt for this K-State squad. Um, they're going to play 18 games. It's not round robin. You're not playing everybody twice um, because of the 14 teams in the league this year. I think someone is probably going to win this thing with two to three, I think two to three losses wins it. Um, now, and I could very well be proven wrong and someone could, and they could win it with one loss. Um, it's hard to say. But I, I think that there's just so much competition at the top. And I think you've got some games that become very difficult, you know, that it's not an easy place to play at Oklahoma State. That's always been a tough place to go. You know, you're going to have to play Iowa State. You know that some of these matchups are interesting. And, you know, people are going to look at BYU and think, oh, well, this is a team that's not that great. Well, they have weapons and they have some pieces of the puzzle. And for people that are going to watch that game and go to the game on Saturday, you're going to see by far the best rebounder in the nation in an undersized post player, Lauren Gustin. Um, she leads the country in rebounding, has did a year ago, and she's just phenomenal. I, I love her game, but there's some other pieces there. They're young. They've got young faces, some youth, some freshmen that are stepping up there, including the coach's daughter and Amari Whiting. Um, Kaylee Woolston is a great story. She's a fantastic shooter. She was the 2023 Utah Miss Basketball, went to BYU. So, And if you tuned in and watched that Houston-BYU men's game um, last night, you saw that crowd. Now, I know K-State doesn't go to BYU, but this is a place that loves basketball. And so anybody that has to go to BYU and play, they're going to play in front of a lot of fans, and they're very supportive there. They support their women's basketball so that can be a trap for somebody, whether it's K-State or Iowa State or OU or Texas, not an easy place to go. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Well, I, I was watching the Houston BYU game last night, actually, on ESPN Plus, yeah. and uh, I was also looking at the men's basketball schedule once again. I was like, oh, joy, K-State gets to go play in this environment, uh, and they get, they get to play BYU at home, and that's a BYU team that moves the ball really well and obviously has a ton of shooters, and I hate playing teams that can shoot the three like them, so <laughs> you just never know if it's going to go in or not, and they're, no. they're on fire. There's nothing you can do. So uh, that was that was a fun game to watch uh, last night. Well, from a national landscape, because Missy, you covered the sport nationally as well, and you have a, a good sense of, you know, maybe how K State stacks up. Look, they've already won at Iowa. They've beaten Texas. They've won at Baylor. I mean, they've beaten some of the top teams in the country. They beat North Carolina on a neutral court. I saw Charlie Cream as North Carolina as a five seed in his projected bracket currently. So, you know, they beat some incredibly really top profile teams in the country. As I look at like the rankings, K-State's number two in the coaches, number four in the AP. You see Colorado at number three, right? You've got UCLA, USC, Stanford, obviously South Carolina, LSU, UConn. Somebody, John Kurtz gave me a hard time for not asking you this question on the last pod. <laughs> how does this, this K-State team stack up to some of the top teams nationally outside of the Big 12? Is this a team that you think could compete with an LSU? And I know they're not having as good of a year as they like. There's still plenty of talent. Could they compete? with a South Carolina, et cetera? Can they get to a Final Four? Just what what are your thoughts on that? Well, first off, I think it's awesome that, you know, we're in an environment of which we're having this conversation and talking about this K-State squad within a national, within the national conversation that hasn't happened for a really long time. Um, so I think it's um, a, a testament to this group that they're kind of, as we said, they're grinding it out. They're figuring it out a way to do it. Voters have noticed, people have noticed, and that's a good thing. Um, as I look at the AP top 25, the unanimous number one is South Carolina. They are literally the only team left, men's or women's, that is undefeated in the nation. And they're very, very good. Now they've got a matchup tomorrow at LSU. I think that's an interesting game because it's not necessarily on paper. You're probably going to give the nod to South Carolina because I think they are just so solid top to bottom. And they defend and they can score at a high, high level. They've also got themselves a 6'7 post player in Camila Cardosa. And she has got great hands. She's averaging a double-double. She's really good. But they've also got players like Bree Hall and some that have stepped up. Names that maybe weren't necessarily part of the conversation for South Carolina a year or two ago, but are now, they've, they, they bide their time. Like they stayed and they're there. And now all of a sudden they're the key, the key players for Don Staley. So I really like South Carolina. Now, at LSU, that's a very different matchup because you put in all of the other drama and all of the things that come with LSU and going to Baton Rouge. It's going to be the Kim Mulkey and the Angel Riso and all of that. If they can tune that out, I think South Carolina wins on the road on Thursday, and I think that will tell us a lot about how good this team really is. UCLA, they themselves have one of the best post players in the nation. She's a transfer from Stanford. She's just a sophomore in Lauren Betts. But UCLA, to me, Cole, the thing about them is they are experienced. They are they have a lot of experience on that roster. Some young faces and a player like Betts or Kiki Rice, who's a sophomore, but they have experience. And that is also what sets Colorado apart. I would not want to see Colorado in my bracket if you were going to be looking and projecting into an NCAA tournament. I do not want to see Colorado in my bracket. I wouldn't want to see Stanford. I wouldn't want to see NC State or UConn. And, you know, after watching Ohio State beat Iowa and what they can do to you defensively 
and what Cody McMahon did to Iowa on national television on Sunday afternoon, I don't know if I'd want to see them in my bracket either. There's some really good teams right now across the country. Um, when you get into tournament time, any coach will tell you, I have a feeling Jerome Tang probably goes with this philosophy as well after last season. Sometimes it is all about matchups and who is who you are going to see and who you are going to face. And sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you luck out and there's an upset somewhere or somebody doesn't, you know, turns an ankle on the way to the bus. You never know. But matchups are what tournament time is about. Kansas State could get the right matchups. I could see them going far. Not necessarily some that were just don't match, where it could be style of play and personnel that makes it much more difficult to advance. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's very matchup driven in the postseason, no matter what the seed is. I mean, I remember, you know, getting matched up against Michigan State for the men last year and just knowing how how big of a challenge that was going to be, even though they were a seven seed and playing them in the Sweet 16. You got to go up against Tom Izzo. So. I mean, and you're looking at you're looking right now, at, you know, within the in within the women's basketball universe, you know, we can always say, all right, you've got the X that or and this happens on the men's side, too. So this is very true. Uh, you know, you have the automatic qualifiers and then you've got the at large and then you've got the play ins, you know, so you have the field of 68 and then we go back to 64. Well, you know, in terms of a lot of those automatic qualifiers, that's probably, you know, for instance, South Carolina. They win their regular season, but then they also win the SEC tournament. So they're in. Well, now you've got other SEC teams that are going to take some of those at-larges. Those are really good SEC teams. So, and then what if somebody gets an upset somewhere? So now all of a sudden I've got two teams of high caliber from a league because there was an upset in the conference tournament. They get the automatic qualifier. Somebody else gets in. So there's always those trickle effects, and and it is ultimately about some of these teams you know Notre Dame they may not they may end up in a situation coming out of the ACC where they don't host their first and second rounds they got to go on the road so they may be a five seed or they might be a six seed but I wouldn't want to see Notre Dame on my side of the bracket I wouldn't want them coming into my house right I mean so you've got it that's going to be the tough part is when this thing shakes out in another you know six weeks or so that. It's going to be very, very interesting how these things are slotted. It reminds me, Missy, of a couple different times that K-State women have had to go through. I mean, the one year they what went to the Sweet 16, they had to go play Lindsey Whalen in Minnesota. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, and, and they had to play them on their home court. I can't remember the circumstances of why that occurred the way that it did. And then they who, who was it? Was it Notre Dame they lost to in the second round in Manhattan yes. one year? Yes. And that was just a, a really and difficult are- draw. Absolutely. And, you know, for clarification for everybody out there watching and listening in the women's tournament, first and second rounds are on campus hosts. Then it goes to the pod situation um, where they do two in one place and two in another like they did a year ago. And then they bring those people. So I think it's still Portland there. And it was Portland and Greenville a year ago. I'm not sure. I looked at a bracket. I haven't gone that far ahead. I just continue to go like week by week with my magic little eight people. Um, But, you know, so, yes. You want to be in the top 16, that will get you a chance to play at home. That's what everybody's gunning for. Uh, You look at the numbers today. I haven't looked at the net numbers after last night and games that happened, um, you know, yesterday. But that is a big piece of it. And also, too, Cole, I think it's interesting. And this, again, this could be a whole nother, like, conversation we have down the road when we get closer to selection Sunday and Monday. But the women's selection criteria is different than the men's. The men's is very, very driven by the net, and that's the NCAA evaluation tool. 
Um, and then they talk about Ken Palm and all of those things. Yep. Now, the women's selection net is a piece of that, but there are also 13 other criteria that appear on the selection sheets for each member of the committee. So when a team is evaluated, net is part of that, but then they look at a host of other things. And so it is a combination of all of the stuff we used to talk about back in the day. Was it just RPI and, you know, who you play? Yeah. Now they're going to talk about your net and they're going to talk about good losses and bad losses. And they're going to talk about availability of talent. Did you have season end injuries? Did you have an injury with two weeks left in the regular season? All of those things become part of that conversation. Strength of your conference. Um, did you? How well did you play at home? How well did you play on the road? All of that is is in the mix. And so I, I hate trying to project today. I mean, give credit to Joe Lenardi on the men's side and Charlie Cream, but, you know, numbers are just numbers and they're throwing in a formula and it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense on the 24th of January, but it does give us something to talk about. Yeah, no, it does. I pulled up <laughs> I, I pulled up the net right now. Obviously, yeah, South Carolina at one. Missy, you got UConn at two. I don't know, like, to what you just spoke to. I don't know if it's similar to the men. Like, in the men's game, you you essentially get rewarded for blowing teams out. Like, and, and I hate that. Like, I, I hate that, like, these teams are leaving their starters in. They're trying to win by 30, 35, because it helps your efficiency metrics and Ken Palm. And then that's, that calculates into the net. And, you know, I look at a UConn probably beating up on some Big East teams. I don't know if that plays a factor. That might be unfair. Texas is third. Um, Utah's fifth. That, that's a team that's really, I think, coming on. And then yes. Kansas State's eighth. I, I don't I don't get it. K-State won at Baylor, and they stayed in eighth. They didn't move up or down. No, uh, but you've got to remember that that net number is, in layman's terms, it is determined by who you played, where you played, how efficiently you played, and yeah. the result. Yep. And so that's what drives that number. And, and so, yes, the efficiency sometimes comes into blowouts or yourself getting blown out. Or a close game that you win on the road that can help you. In the case of a UConn, Utah, those teams like that right now, Texas, that is all driven by the strength of their schedule and about who they've played yeah. because they have had a very difficult schedule. And you know, UConn and and Notre Dame, they take a break from their conference schedules for an old Big East battle on Sunday, and that is going to be Notre Dame at UConn. So those numbers for both of those teams are going to go up just because of the fact that they are playing each other in a non-con game in the middle of conference play. Yep. And as I look at K-State's big wins, obviously Texas is third in the net. You've got mm-hmm. what Iowa sixth, and you've got Baylor 14, and then you got North Carolina on the neutral court. North Carolina is 29th yep. in the net rankings today. So look, K-State has obviously compiled some tremendous wins and put them on the resume. And if they can continue, they'll have plenty of opportunities still. They got West Virginia. They got a road game at Texas. Now that's going to be incredibly hard yes. because you mentioned the Texas front court and now they won't have Ioka Lee for this one in the return matchup against the Longhorns. I did I did want to ask you real quick, uh, Missy, on just a couple individual players because I asked you about Serena Sundell yeah. on the last pod that we did. Well, now over the last six games, she's averaging nearly 16 points per game. She's shooting 61% from the floor, which is phenomenal. Averaging four and a half assists, four and a half rebounds per game, two steals. She's filling the stat sheet. Just what have you seen from her and her continual development over the last couple of weeks? Because she's someone they're going to have to continue to rely on even more. Yeah, she's going to have to step up even more. You're absolutely right. I think that the change for me that I have seen in Serena Sundell is her ability just to be more assertive. And it is 
being able to catch the basketball on the wing and kind of survey the situation. And then she's a quick first step and she's going to get to the rim. We saw that she went baseline a couple times. Um, she did it against Kansas, did it against Baylor to be able to finish at the rim. And that's the other piece of it. You got to be able to get, put it on the floor with the intent of scoring. If I'm putting it on the floor and I'm getting to the rim, I'm either getting to the line or I've got to score and finish. And maybe I get an and one, but either way, I got to figure out a way to put the ball in the basket. So I think for Sundell, it's her assertiveness and also kind of taking what the defense gives. Now, I would say she, the three-point shot isn't, a year ago, she relied heavily on the three because that was the system. This year, the system's changed. Now, even without Lee in the post, you can't completely just dump everything that they've done up until this point, right? So a lot of that kind of flow and framework is still there. For a player like Sundell, that's going to mean this is about getting to the rim, penetration, picking my moments where I can slice and dice through that defense, much like Baylor did to them in the first half. How can I find a way to be more assertive and score? So I like that out of her, and I don't think she is trying to do too much. She's playing within herself, taking what the defense gives her. She did have eight turnovers against Baylor, and I think a lot of that was self-induced, especially early in the first half. They were just out of sorts and out of sync, and they were trying to make something happen. A year ago, we saw that multiple times, was this team would get down maybe by eight or 11, and then it was high fly, shoot them up, high volume threes. Well, you're not getting an eight-point deficit back with one shot. You only get three points back, right? So just do the math. Um, so I think for now, all of a sudden, yes, maybe a little bit of panic when they were down against Baylor on the road in that first half, but did not go and try to say, hey, we're going to get this all back with one. Instead, you chip away at it. You make some plays defensively. You get a couple easy buckets. And you just settle down a little bit and take better care of the ball. So Sundell for me is is playing within herself, but I like the fact that she has been way more assertive and it's turning heads. A lot of people are noticing what Serena Sundell has, do has done so far. We talked about Gabby Gregory on the last pod too that we did. And obviously we know she's played banged up for much of the year and, and injuries have plagued her in her career going back to Oklahoma as well. But she was huge, obviously, yep. against Baylor, and she goes 6 of 11 from the floor. She scores 16 points. She goes 3 of 6 from 3, and she had what proved to be the game-winning. Well, I guess it would be it, – it's really helped seal the game when she got the end one mm -hmm. at the end of the game. She also had an assist to Serena Sundell to put him up 56 to 55. Just before that, she made some big shots in the game. Do you think that that type of effort can maybe unlock her moving forward, especially as I look at the team when they're out – Ioka Lee, maybe can Gabby Gregory and maybe this be the, the moment that lifts her to getting back to what she was able to do last year? I think so. You know, she had the most three-point attempts. She goes three of six, um, most three-point attempts on the team. But yet I didn't feel like a lot of those were rushed or they were bad threes. Um, they were good looks. So, you know, she goes 50%. That's a way better number than it has been. But I think what you also saw was the adjustment. And a year ago where she made a living was isolation, post up, low block, barrel herself in, power in, get foul, get to the line. A lot of and ones, a lot of trips for two shots, simply because she can be a bit of a mismatch at that one, two, even three position based on who you're playing. And they did that on Monday night, is that they gave her more of those isos, gave her a chance to go one-on-one -on, -one on the block. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you're going to get the call. Sometimes you're going to get it to go in. Sometimes it might be a miss, but somebody cleans it up on the other side. 
or either way, it's just a it forces this Baylor team to have to guard you differently. And they had to make some choices. And so then all of a sudden now they're worried about the ISOs and the post up by Gregory. It leaves somebody else open on the backside or a shooter with their feet set out on the perimeter. So her confidence has to continue to grow. I think it's a very heady, experienced player. And that's why this team didn't, I think, panic um, come last Saturday is that you've got some players that they've had a ton of experience, even though they may only be juniors. Um, but that experience really can start to show through and you just figure out a way to win. You know, at least Cole, it doesn't matter. I mean, you win by one or 21 yeah. wins a win. Like yeah. you take it where you can get it and you take that three point win at Baylor. You get back on that bus and say, how fast can we get out yeah. of here before somebody comes and decides they want to change something? They say, nope, we got to go. And you get out of there because that's that's really what they did. And you got to steal them on the road and they got themselves a very important one. It's just so impressive to me how just next man up mentality that this team has. And it's just, it feels like a different person stepping up night in and night out. I mean, the KU game, you had Briley Glenn put up 13 points. Jalen Glenn doesn't have, you know, the gaudy stats, but she played all 40 minutes against Baylor. Just tremendous defensively. I mean, she, she had the block at the end of the game, her length, her athleticism, her ability to guard is tremendous. And, and, you know, obviously we mentioned Eliza Moppin, we mentioned Serena Sundell, Gregory, Etc. It feels like it's just a different person stepping up night in and night out. And we mentioned it as well. Just the second half of that Baylor game. I mean, Baylor only gets six points in the paint after 24 in the first half. Uh, K-State outscored him in the paint in the second half, 16 to six. Uh, tremendous defensive effort and just one heck of a win as they keep the momentum going. And uh, I think a lot of K-State fans are going to have their eyes on that South Carolina LSU game tomorrow night. Because <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if, if South Carolina lost to LSU, you think, now you're an AP voter, right? But uh, I am not. I am not. not okay, you're not. I'm not, not a voter. voter. No, okay. I talk to a lot of voters. So I always like to get sort of where their mentality is and how they view things. So again, K-State not punished for losing their All-American inside because they were able to win and just keep winning. You know, now first loss you have without her, that's going to change. Does it drop you far in the polls? Hard to say. We don't know when that will come or if it will come. Uh, but I'm pretty sure your question is, if South Carolina does lose at LSU on Thursday, is this a chance for Kansas State to move up in, you know, above? Um, I think it, I, I'm not sure if they are quite there yet. And I I would caution fans with the assumption that if South Carolina loses, which I don't think they will, if they would lose, that that would just magically mean that K-State would move up. you got to remember they have a tough game against BYU. You cannot take any day or night off in the Big 12. They get BYU at home. It's going to be a very different game without Lee on the, in the middle. So they're, they've got to make some adjustments and changes themselves. Um, you've got some very good teams ahead of them, UCLA and Colorado. Where voters land next Monday is ultimately going to be where all of and how all of these teams play over the next few days. Well, it's fun to watch. It's fun to monitor. It gives us something more additional to talk about. I, I know at the end of the day, rankings don't ultimately really matter because it's about where you're at in the postseason and how you're playing then. But it is fun, and uh, it's a really, really neat story. And so hopefully hopefully, fans pack Bramlage once again. Uh, I know there were 9,600 for the KU game. How about we get a sellout now this Saturday against BYU? The men are on the road, so go to Bramlage, pack it, and uh, – enjoy the heck out of watching these girls play it's a yeah lot of fun. it'd be a great opportunity you know and and i think this is a fantastic um 
example of the rise of women's basketball all across the country. And we are seeing record numbers of eyeballs on televisions and record numbers of butts and seats everywhere and people having sellouts all across the country. And it really is elevating the game. Uh, we can continue to do more. We always should do more. But this is a great way for people to see a display of you know some outstanding teams, coaches, individuals. The Big 12 has a chance to really kind of put themselves on the national stage in this aspect. And this can only help. And I think this Kansas State team has a lot ahead of them. There's no doubt about that. They've got some things to prove. and they. But when you keep winning, it does a lot for you. I, I do want to, this one more, Missy, and I'm going to get you out of here on that front, on that front, because the women's sport growing, I feel like one of the things that has, at least from my perspective, helped the women's sport grow is there's more parity nowadays. Because I, I think back, you know, when it was Tennessee and it was UConn just dominating year in and year out, it was not as interesting or entertaining to me to watch because it just felt like it was going to be those two or one right. or three or four programs, Stanford, someone in the the final four. But now you've got Iowa, you've got Kansas State, you've got some of these other schools, Colorado this year and what they're doing. Some of these different programs stepping forth on the women's basketball front. I, I Look, it's great what Gino Oriema has done at UConn and what Pat Summit did at, U, at Tennessee but it feels like it's better for the sport to me to have more adver- more more teams, different parts of the country playing well in the women's sport. Oh, 100%. I mean, you're absolutely right. Domination is fantastic, especially when you are a fan of that team. So, of course, anybody's looking for that, right? I mean, that's that's why that's why some fan bases find others insufferable because they know that there's that domination and they can hold it over your head. But I think within women's basketball, that really is becoming much more of, of a factor in terms of parity. I think just as it is in the men's game, the transfer portal has done that. Um, and also you just have a plethora of talent and that talent is all across the nation and there's more options. You know, a Juju Watkins, for example, out of Los Angeles, born and raised in California in the area of L.A., what does she do? She says, I don't want to go all the way across the country and go to Yukon or Tennessee or one of the ones or South Carolina. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to go to USC. I'm going to stay right here and look at where USC is and the elevation of their program. It just, you know, uh, three years now under Lindsay Gottlieb. That is that's also the message is, is that you've got people out there who within that ahead of these programs saying, hey, you can come here. You can be the foundation. You can be a star. You can stay at home. And that message is resonating. So I think the the multitude of talent that's out there across the nation, and it's spread throughout P5s, mid-majors, everybody. And then the portal and how that moves people and how it becomes simplistically different. We know NIL is a big piece of the puzzle, even in women's sports. And women's basketball is one of the ones leading the charge. So all of those things come together, and you are right. Parity is a big piece of this. It can only be a positive. And there's a lot of teams that when you sit and say, wow, I didn't know anything about, I didn't know Green Bay. I didn't know about UW-Green Bay or Fairfield out on the East Coast. Or I didn't know that Oregon State was any good at women's basketball. Well, now people are paying attention. And you know what? There's a lot of really, really good programs all over the nation. And we're seeing it on display. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's awesome for the sport. It's great for the fan to uh, to be able to take in as well. And uh 
enjoying the heck out of it. So, hey, Missy, look, I think you're going to probably learn every time I have you on not to hold me to when I tell you I'm going to get you out of here in 30, 30 minutes or less. I, I just enjoy talking hoops with you so much. It's such a fun conversation that uh, I lied once again. John and DY know this and our producers know it at KCSN when we do these pods. And uh, every time I'm like, oh, this will be a quick 30, 40 minute pod. We go like an hour. So, uh, hey, I appreciate the heck out of you. Have a, a safe trip. You're going to be on the call, I know, in South Dakota for South Dakota State. Oral Roberts Women's Basketball on CBS Sports Network on Sunday, right? So, yes. uh, K-State fans, go check Missy out on the call of that game. And then, obviously, yeah. when she's in town calling the, the K-State Women's Games as well on either ESPN Plus or on the radio with Brian Smoller. Uh, she's tremendous, as you oh, guys all know. Thank you. So, I appreciate that. And, yes, looking forward to my trip. Um, two teams at the top of the Summit League. And, you know, as we always say, those are the, also the teams out of some of those very, very good mid-major conferences that you do not want to see them on your side of the bracket when it comes to NCAA tournament time. So I'm excited to be able to go and call that game and see some really good women's basketball. Yeah, well, safe travels, Missy. And uh, we'll talk soon again, I'm sure. Thanks, Absolutely. Missy. Absolutely. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.